is what we're going to study for today's Bible study. It says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was in all of the scriptures. So that got me thinking when I was reading this, it's like, okay, if Jesus were right here today and he was in this room and and he was going to say, hey, let me let me go back into the scriptures and let me point out the things that that speak of me. Um, you know, what, what would be the things that he would point out? You know, if, if, you're, if you're Jesus or you're the, the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, what would he have gone back and explained? You know, what would he have gone back? It says, he gives a clue. He says he went back to, uh, you know, to Moses and he went back to the prophets. So at this time when Jesus just arose, there's no New Testament. So it's not like he would have, you know, referred to a lot of things in the New Testament. He, you know, but he, he would have gone back to the Old Testament and then, showed how that connects to his life. You know, hey, here's what it said in the past. This is how it affects me. So for today's Bible study, um, I thought that's what we would do is let's just, let's just think, well, what, you know, what is it that Jesus, you know, what stories, what events, what things would he have gone back and, and said, hey, take a look at this. Um, so, so as I was thinking about that, um, there's a couple when, when doing Bible studies, when just for my personal Bible study, there are certain um, there's certain indicators to me that, that say something's important. Uh, for example, when, when Jesus says something twice, you know, very, very verily, verily, I, I, you know, I, I, I tell you. Well, when he says something twice, that's like underlining it. That's like an emphasis, like this is important. Or he says, you know, Martha, Martha, you know. Um, you know so when you repeat something, when in the Bible, when it repeats something twice, it's something kind of important. So I was thinking about, well, when it comes to Jesus, you know, what are those things that he repeated oftentimes? You know, what, what were some of the things that he, he uh, communicated? And, and I just use four for an example just to kind of launch off. One is that he, he spoke of himself as the light. You know, I'm the light of the world and, you know, light has come into the, you know, you know into the, the kingdom and so forth. Um, so he spoke of himself as light. And then he spoke of himself as, as water. You know, I'm the living water and so forth. And then he spoke of himself as bread. I'm the bread of life. And then he, you know, he spoke of himself as the word. You know, um, you know, uh, heaven and earth will will fade away, but my word never will. So Jesus said these things, and he said them many different times. So I thought, well, let's just take a look at those four things. And why would he, for example, why would he, you know, refer to himself as light? Like, what's the significance of that? Well, he. The truth of the matter is, he probably would have gone back into the time of Moses and into the prophets, and there are certain things he would have probably pointed out, you know, to the men on, on the road to Emmaus. He probably would have said, you know, hey, let's, let's take a look at the time of Moses, you know, let's, let's take a look at, at, at light. So where I start the Bible study on this is I'm really going back to Genesis. I'm going back to the very first page of the Bible, and, and there's a, a couple of interesting things here just to, to read, and once again, I'll, I'll highlight it here uh, for you just to, you know, just to kind of flesh it out. So the very first page of, 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 um, of the Bible. So we're in the, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, so that's where we're at. So you have six days of creation, and then on the seventh day, uh, God rested. So what, what happened the very first thing? What was the very first thing on day one? You know, what happened? Well, here's what it says. Um, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. So... At first, you, when you're thinking about that, when you're reading that, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, that's the sun, that's the moon, that's the stars. Well, that doesn't happen until day four. You know, God creates those, but that's on day four. 
So that's not the light he's speaking of. What he's saying is, I'm the light. I came into it. You know, there was complete darkness and I entered it. I'm the light of the world. So, so Jesus is saying, that light at creation, that's me. You know, I'm the one that came into the world. I'm the one that, you know, said, let there be light. And, and there was light. It, was, it wasn't light he created. It was light of himself. So that would probably be something that he would go back and say, you know, um, you know that, w- that was the significance. It's not the stars, the moon. You know, like I said, that was, that was done on day four when you're, when you're reading the, you know, the, the uh, chronology of it. And then you, um, then I would, I would think back to other situations where, you know, during the time of Moses. And then I would go to Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. So, well, here's, here's a couple things. So let me just read a little bit about this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt. So this is while they're still in Egypt in, in captivity. This is, this is one of the plagues. Um, so this is one of the, the, the 10 plagues. And it says darkness... Um, uh, spread your over the land of Egypt, darkness can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one can see anyone else move about for three days, yet all of Israel had light in the places where they lived. So here you have, here you have God on this side, there's complete daylight. Over here is complete darkness, so where the Egyptians are. So Jesus would probably point out and say, that light that did that, that's me. I, that's something that I did. I, shot, you know, I was the one that shined that light here. I made total darkness there. So I'm the light that came into the world, created this, and then I'm that light. And then we go a little further into, into uh, chapter 14, 14 chapter uh, or verse 19. And what it says here, this is now when they are in the desert. So they're in the desert. Um, this is an early going. So they're, you know, they're going to be in the desert for 40 years. Well, you think about the desert. I mean, it's pitch black. You have 2 million, 4 million, you know, Jewish people that are released, right? You know, they'd be stumbling around not being able to see each other. But here's what it says in, um, in uh, 14 verse 19. So it says, uh, it says, uh, uh, the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. Um, I gain glory through Pharaoh, um, his chariots, and his basement. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Um, throughout the night, the cloud of darkness to one side and the light to the other. So neither went from uh, from one side um, all night long. So once again, you have that, that separation where, where, uh, where he's doing this. And then you go a little bit further into, or into uh, chapter 13, verse 21. And here's what it says here, uh, referring to why would Jesus refer to himself as the light. So here's what it says um, in uh, chapter 13, verse 21. Um, it says, by day the Lord went um, I'm sorry, by, by day the Lord went ahead of, uh, ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So here you have this pillar that they're in the middle of the desert, and wherever that pillar of light went, the Jewish people followed them. And when that pillar of light stopped, they stopped, opened up camp, and that's where they stayed. And then when the pillar of light left, that's where they went. So Jesus would probably say, you know, I'm the light of the world that is leading everybody through. You know, I'm that, I'm that light, 
you know, he probably would have gone back to the time of Moses and explained that. And then he probably would have pointed this out too in, um, in Exodus 14, verse 24. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud of Egypt. So here, you know, you have the Bible saying that this pillar, God is looking down from it. That is him. That light is him. He's the one looking down. You know, he's looking down. And then Jesus would probably um, say, hey, let's take a look at my birth. You know, let's take a look at the birth. What happened when, when I was born? Well, he probably would have gone back into, um, into uh, described in Matthew um, chapter 2, verse 2, and this is when the Magi. If you remember the Magi, uh, the Magi came and they were, these, these were the kings from the east, right? And they came to, to, you know, to present this baby king with gold and, and, you know, these treasures. So you have one king that is looking for another baby king to say, you are superior to me. You know, we're not equals. I'm giving you gifts. You're not giving me gifts. So these magi, these kings, so how did they, how did they know where, where, you know, where this baby Jesus in the manger was? So it says that they followed his star. Well, that star is that same cloud. It's that same, you know, it's that same light that they followed through the, through the desert. That's what the Magi were saying. When you read through that, it says they were following his star. When his star rose up, they followed it. And when it stopped over the manger, just like when, you know, so, so that same light that was right over the manger that the Magi, they followed. Well, how would the Magi know, you know, about this? You know, I mean, obviously the, the light came up, so, so that would, you know, be an evidence. But the Magi, when you go back to the book of Daniel, the Magi is short for magicians. So the Magi is just an abbreviation for magicians. In the book of Daniel, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he was um, you know, having dreams, and he says, I need someone to interpret my dreams. So he went to the, the magicians, and he went to the fortune tellers and the stargazers and all of these, you know, all of these people that were in his court. And they, they couldn't figure out what the dream was. They're like, you know, we can't interpret it. But they said, hey, there's somebody, Daniel, you know, he can do this. You know, he's able to do that. And Nebuchadnezzar says, bring Daniel to me. So Daniel said, all right, here's exactly what's going on. You know, laid it all perfectly for Neb King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you are going to be in charge of the magi, of the magicians. So, um, so now that the magicians, the magi, are in Daniel's... Um, uh, custody, if you will. Um, he's teaching them. Well, Daniel is connected to God. He's having the visions. He's seeing exactly what's going to happen. He, Daniel knows when the when the um, you know um, uh, when Christ is going to enter Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, so Daniel would have taught them as you know as a leader of it. Daniel would have said, "Hey, you know, there's a vision coming." So the Magi were you know on the lookout of that because they were under the tutelage of of Daniel, and then. You know, sure enough, as you know, they see you know the star coming across. So those are probably a couple of things that maybe Jesus on the road to Emmaus would have said. You know, hey, I refer to myself as light. You know, why is that? Well, I'm the light that you know shined into the light. I'm the light that you know leads people out of their darkness. I'm you know, and, and maybe he would use those as as some of his some of his examples. Um, and then, um, and then you go to uh, then we go to uh, the Gospel of John. John. Uh, chapter eight, verse uh, uh, chapter eight, verse twelve. Here, okay. So, so what's happening here is now this is in the time of Jesus. So Jesus is is walking among the people, 
there is a, there is a, um, a, a festival that happens where the Jewish people, the contemporary Jewish people that you know are seeing Jesus that are there at that time, they are having um, they are having a, um, a a ceremony that is to honor their ancestors that went back in the time when you know when Moses was you know when they were with Moses walking through the desert. And there's really two things that they are. Um, celebrating during this festival. One of them is um, they're, they're acknowledging that, you know, hey, God led us through the darkness, that, you know, when he was the light ahead of us, you know, he was, you know, he, he, you know, he did that. That was, that was a miracle. That was something that he did. So they acknowledge that during the seven-day festival. And so Jesus is at that festival. So just when they're ready to have the culmination of this seven-day festival, they're just getting ready to bang the, the, the tambourines and shake the, you know, blow the horns and, and to acknowledge that. And God did this for us. What Jesus did, or what Jesus said, is he yelled out. He said, I'm the light of the world. You know, what you're celebrating, Jesus said, I'm the light. I'm the light that did that. And the people were shocked at that. But, but you know, but that's what, that's what the Bible says. Jesus shouted out just at that crescendo moment. He says, I'm the light of the world. So, um, so that would probably be a couple things that maybe Jesus would, um, you know, would, would point out. And then we would look at, um, you know, he would equate himself to water. So why, why would Jesus, you know, why would Jesus, um, you know, what, what would Jesus say? What would he go back in the time of Moses and, and, and these sort of things? And, and how, how would he connect? Uh, because he repeated these sort of things. So, so it's certainly important. So what would Jesus have said regarding uh, water? Well, once again, that would go back to the time of Moses. Once again, you're in the desert. You know, there's not a lot of water there. So the people needed water. So what happened is that, uh, is that God, God the Father, told Moses, take your staff, hit a rock, and water will gush out of that. So, so um, you know, so that was a miracle that was happening. Well, then you come into, um, and I, I won't read that part just, you know, because I, I think I can explain that well enough. And then you come into... Um, and then you come into where Jesus was at the well. Um, you may remember this story where Jesus um, had sent out his disciples. So the 12 disciples had gone out in, in groups of two um, to uh, go to the neighboring towns and community. Jesus was there by himself. And the disciples were just coming back at the end of their, you know, at the end of their trip, maybe a week later or whatever it was. <laughs> Jesus is by himself. He is now in Samaria. And there's a well there. And Jesus, it's the heat of the day, and Jesus is very thirsty. So he goes to the well, and there's this woman that is there. She's the Samaritan woman. And Jesus has this conversation with her. And it's really interesting. Let, let me read a little bit of it just so, um, so we can get the full, uh, full weight of it. So, um, so John chapter 4, 4.25. Okay. And once again, this is foot noted here, so you can go back at a later time and look through some of this yourself. So, so Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. And, and ultimately, Jesus has what this woman needs, and this woman has what Jesus needs. Jesus is at the well, but he doesn't have a bucket. You know, he has no way to get that water down. This woman, you know, has a bucket, right? So Jesus is having this conversation with her. And, and, and once again, you, you can read it. I'll just kind of describe it for you. So Jesus is having this conversation with her. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, and Jesus is, is, is saying, you know, you know, woman, which was very shocking at that time because this woman, you know, wasn't his wife. And typically, culturally, 
you know, the men at that time didn't just talk to strange women unless they were, you know, were married. And then she was a Samaritan, which is a, you know, half Jew, half Gentile. So she was, you know, a little bit of a mixed blood, if you will. So culturally, there were a lot of things that were very unusual. So the fact for Jesus even to speak with her, you know, was a little bit, you know, and she was taken back, like, you know, why are you speaking with me? You know, I, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. And then Jesus said, you know, if you knew who it was that is speaking to you, you know, you would, you know, you would, as a matter of fact, let me read it. Um, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him um, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is introducing this living water, you know. So once again, we're, we're speaking about water. So he's bring, talking about this living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from the well. You don't have a bucket. You know, you, know, you want water, but, you, you know, this special living water, you don't even have a bucket. You know, you know how are you going to do that? Uh, where, uh, and then she says, where can you get this living water? So she's thinking, like, literally, like, you know, there's, there's a water out there that is living water that, you know, is maybe different than what she has. So she's like, where, where do you get this living water? And, and, then, and then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because it was Jacob that dug that well, you know, so that was a blessing, you know. And, and if you have this separate water, you know, are you on equal planes with, with Jacob that, you know, gave this whole village access to this water? Are you, you know, are you somehow, you know, as, as, um, as uh, important as, as, as Jacob? And, uh, and then so, you know, are you greater than our, father, uh, than our father Jacob who gives us this well to drink from? Uh, from it himself, and also uh, for his sons and the livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come in in, uh, in a spring of water welling up um, to eternal life. So Jesus kind of talking this very spiritual things, right? And, and about this living water, and you'll never be thirsty again. And this woman, here's how she responds. The woman said to her, sir, give me some of that water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw this water. So she's like, hey, if you have this water that you're never thirsty from again, you drink, that sure would be, you know, coming out here and lifting all these buckets of water to give to the goats and the lamb and myself. You know, in the heat of the day, I mean, you know, if if you've got a shortcut, if you have some special water that I just drink at one time and I'm always hydrated, I'm always feeling good. So that the, you know, so Jesus and this woman are just not connecting. You know, Jesus is trying to connect with her. Yeah, but but they're not they're kind of talking past each other a little bit. So Jesus is saying, "Hey, you have what I need. You have a bucket. I don't. I have what you need. I have you know the means to give you eternal life and this this water." So it continues. It says, "You know." So the woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water that I won't um, that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming and draw water." He told her, "Go and uh, go and call your husbands and come back." And then she says, "I have no husband." She re- he replied. And then Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. Uh, and then she says, you know, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that, that's exactly right. I've never met you before, but that's exactly, exactly right. And then the woman says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I mean, for you to be able to know that about me, we just met, I can see, you know, that you're a prophet. And here's what Jesus says. Our ancestors worshiped on this mount, or I'm sorry, the woman said, so she's a little bit confused. So she's like, hey, I see your prophet. And it says, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim you, the place where you worship must be in Jerusalem. So she's like, you know, hey, back during the time of Moses, you know, we knew God from going up on the, on the mountain, right? So is that where we find God? But then what the Jews say, no, no, you have to go to the temple. That's where God is. So she's kind of like, I'm a little confused. I mean, do I find God in the temple 
or do I find them on the mountaintop? I'm, I'm not, our ancestors said this, but now the newer people are saying this. So I'm, I'm a little confused. Uh, Jesus, so Jesus replied, um, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Uh, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, just meaning, you know, that's where the gospel, that's who God spoke with. Uh, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. So today we don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a mountain. We could just sit right here and speak to God. Okay, so then, um, so, so Jesus is saying these things and this woman really is not figuring it out, right? Her, her mind is still not there. So here's what she says. So, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, we speak, you know, worship the God in spirit, and, and she's kind of being a little bit left behind in this conversation. She's not completely dialed into what he's saying. So it says, um, you know, God is spirit, and his worshiper must worship him in spirit. The woman said, and here's what she said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain these things to us. Like, I, I don't understand what you're saying, but one day the Messiah is going to come, you know, uh, and he's going to explain things. And Jesus said, uh, the, uh, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus at that point, and right when he said that, at that exact moment, that's when the 12 um, apostles or the 12 disciples or 24 or whatever it was, that's when they just came back from their seven. Just when they, so they saw them speaking, you know, Jesus speaking to this woman and he just got done saying, I am the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is God, you know. So, so Jesus is saying, I am God. So so ultimately, the story continues that she, at that point, she goes and tells the townspeople, right? And, um, and she tells the townspeople, and, and you, have to, you have to think of it this way, that, that this woman had a bad reputation. She had five husbands working on her sixth one. I'm sure the woman in town, you know, weren't that thrilled to have her come in and say, you know, you know go tell everyone, hey, I know something you don't know. So this woman, rather than coming in, in, in you know, in, in, uh, being boastful that way, she comes in very, um, very uh, sheepishly and says, "You know, you're so smart. Could this be the one? You know, like I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just this foolish girl. You know, could this be the Messiah that we're waiting for?" And then the men are like, "Well, I'll go find out. The, you know, I'll, I'll get to the bottom of this. You know, stand aside, lady." And then. So Jesus is talking to the is talking to the disciples and and they're saying, oh, you know, we did all these great things, and you know, you know, Jesus, you certainly must be hungry. And Jesus said, you know, I have food you don't know about. You know, I, I'm nurtured based on saving lives, and they're like, you know, and like, do you have a secret stash of food somewhere? Is that you know, is that why you're not hungry? So they they once again they're not really understanding what Jesus is saying either. And Jesus looks out in the field and think of it like a cornfield. You know, like we have the term. Um, you know, in this area, um, that uh, knee high by the 4th of July, right? Like the, the corn should be knee high by the 4th of July. That's basically what Jesus is saying. You know, he's looking out at the field and he's like, it's only knee high. It's not 4th of July yet. You know, it, the, this, this crop is not ready for harvest. But Jesus is looking over the, the crops that are there. They're not ready for harvest, but he can see the heads of the town people. And he's saying, however, the, 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 the harvest is ready to come in. And, and these people came in and they spent time with Jesus and they all uh, came into faith and all. So the point is, so the living water, you have, you have Moses on the rock and he's, he's the source of the water. And then Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. If you drink from me, if you're connected to me, I'm the living water. So those, those, would, be, uh, those would be a couple of things that, you know, maybe Moses or that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus would have, uh, that Jesus would have um, uh, traced back to. Um, 
And then I would also say that uh, when we go back to that festival, um, so we go back to John chapter 7, verse 34, that seven-day festival. Well, that, um, that celebrated two things. It celebrated, like I said, the light. I am the light of the world. Jesus shouted it out right then. Well, the other thing that it did, that it marked, that it celebrated, um, was the fact that God provided the water to them. So that was the other part of the celebration. So once again, just when they're getting ready, you know, um, just when they're getting ready to clang the cymbals and pound the drums and, and honor God and say, and it was you. And then Jesus, you know, Jesus yells out and he says, I'm the living water. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. So Jesus is saying, I'm that water. I'm that water, you know, that's, that supplied you your life in the, in the desert. So that would probably be maybe something that he would, that he would, um, you know, that he would take out. And then, um, and then when you go jump way ahead into Revelation, so when everything is all said and done and everyone is in their proper places and judgment has come and it's all said and done and we're really on the last page of the, of the, of the Bible itself, um, what Jesus, or what the Bible says in Revelation, um, chapter 20, 22, I guess it is, yeah, chapter twenty-two. It says that uh, you know, in the in in the garden, or you know, in um, you know, in the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, it says that everyone drank from the living water, and that they you know, and they ate the apple, you know, they ate the fruit, and they lived together, or they lived for eternity. So the water will be part of our, you know, that will be part of our, you know, ceremony or ritual or whatever it is that will you know, when we're finally in there and we're sitting at at the table when when God is is celebrating us and He says, I, "I'm not going to eat the, you know, I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until I'm in Your kingdom." And we celebrate it together. That's what Jesus said in the in the Last Supper. Well, during that time, we're going to be drinking the water, and it's that living water that will you know have us live together with Him in in fellowship and harmony. So we have the uh, the light of the world. Um, we have the living water, and now let's take a look at bread. You know, why would Jesus say, you know, I'm I'm the bread of life, or, or you know, what what would be the connection to that? So let's let's take a look at that. Well, that once again, you know, the the connection or the clues that Jesus has given us, he's saying, hey, bat, you know, I went back to the time of Moses and the prophets, and I pointed out all the things that that pertain to me. Well, if you go back to the time of Moses, well, how would the people eat in the desert? You know, what would be their light? What would be their water? What would they eat? Well, they had manna. They had manna that came down. You know, the, the, the sweet bread uh, is, is what it, it talks about. So we, we can read about that, but I think we're all familiar with it. So you can go to Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. And every day God supplied. He said, don't put any in your pocket. Don't put any in jars. Eat what you want that day, and then it's done. You know, we're not going to eat anymore. Next day, you know, by faith, you have to have faith that I'm going to provide you food tomorrow. Um, you know, don't keep it up here to hedge your bets. If you do, it's going to turn into maggots and, and, and uh, some nasty stuff. But if you live by faith, eat what you want, it's going to dissolve and disappear. But the next day, I'm going to give you that same food. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the bread that does that. So that would be probably one thing that Jesus would say is, I'm the source of that. I'm the one that, you know, that nurtures you. I'm the one that, you know, is in your daily life and so forth. And then you would, you know, then the other logical thing that you would um, go to is you would go to Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. So, so a couple things about that. So Jesus actually did, the, um, did that miracle of, of loaves and fishes. He did it twice. Uh, he did it with two different groups. He did it uh, first to the Jews, and then he did it to the, the, really the Gentiles. So, so what, what, what happened, if, if, when you read it, it's really, it's really fascinating when you read that story because... There's a couple things that jump out at you, and, and we can go a little bit further back. We can go back to, um, 
we can go back to um, when Jesus was at the wedding and he, and he did the miracle of turning the, you know, the, the water, he turned it into wine. And, and what, what did the people say at that point? They're like, hey, you know, you bought out the good stuff, you know, you know, like later. Normally you bring out the good stuff and then when people are a little, you know, feeling a little bit, uh, you know, a little, little sloshy, you know, then you kind of bring in the, the junky wine. But you did the complete opposite. So that, that was something that clearly stuck in their mind. Like, you know, that is unusual. You know, that is unusual. So why, why would that be? What's the significance of that? Well, it comes back to the fact that God created, Jesus created that. You know, that wine had never grown on grapes on, on a vine. You know, that was never, nobody ever planted that. God just made something appear that did it. Well, the truth of the matter is, um, everything that we eat, as, as delicious as food is, you know, we could eat whatever. I mean, we have so much variety and all that. And we eat food, it's delicious. We love it. But the truth of the matter is the food that we eat has sin in it. You know, sin that permeates throughout all of the land. That's why we have volcanoes and hurricanes and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, because there's sin that goes through the land. That was part of the judgment in the, in the Garden of Eden. So even though the food tastes good, it has sin in it. So it's not as good as it really should be. Well, when, when God creates this food, when he creates the loaves of the fish and he creates the, um, the wine, that doesn't have sin in it. So when you drink it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. You know, it tastes so much different. And they knew that. They're, they didn't know why, but they're like, this is very good. So now we jump ahead to, you know, the, the loaves and the fish. Well, once again, the loaves were never baked in an oven. You know, that didn't come from wheat that was growing in some field somewhere. You know, God said, you know, there it is. And, and it was there. He created it from nothing. Uh, the fish never swam in a stream or a river. Um, you know, God just said, let it be. So that, that fish, that loaves, it didn't have any sin in it. So when you read the story, when you, when you read through this, it's interesting the interaction. It's kind of like that woman at the well. They're, they don't get it. Um, you know, Jesus is speaking one thing. They're saying another. They don't get it. So so Jesus, um, what's, what's really interesting about that, it, it just think, you know, we've, since, you know, since we've been out of town, we've gone out to eat a couple times. And what I notice is like when one person orders, like we went out for pizza, for example, and not all of us ordered, you know, um, suddenly there were a couple pizzas there, right? So we decided what we wanted on the toppings and all, but we didn't really decide the quantity. Do we want too large? Do we want, you know, whatever. So when we were done, you know, we had some leftovers. There were, you know, four or five of us there. And we had, you know, a couple leftover slices. Let's put it in a doggy bag and take it home. Um, but when we order for ourselves, we went to Kroll's. It's like, okay, I'll have a hamburger or whatever. And then there was none left, you know, because we all ordered for ourselves. So when you are Jesus and you are creating food for 5,000 men, plus wives and, you know, sons and daughters and, and next door neighbors and all, there's probably 20,000 people there. So, so here, here, you know, here God created all of that food, all of that abundance for all of these people, you know, not individual orders. Well, I'll, I'll have uh, two pieces of fish and I'll, you know, none of that. God just said, you know, create it. And they all ate exactly what they wanted. They, like, I couldn't eat another bite. This is delicious. I'm totally satisfied. And what does the Bible say? It says that there were 12 baskets left over. Well, how many apostles are there? There's 12. So after everybody, after they distributed the food, there's 12 bas baskets left and they had the exact same amount because God's not gonna create a miracle and have waste and say, okay, well, I, I don't need this. Let's throw that in the dump. No, God's gonna be precise. So he knew exactly how much everyone was gonna eat. 
So that's the, that's the bread of life. He's creating. He's saying, I'm the source of that. I have complete knowledge. I know how much. There's not going to be any waste. There's not going to be anything extra. So, so he goes through this. Well, the story continues that uh, the story continues that in the next morning, right? So the next morning, you may remember that at this time, the people were like, hey, you know, we're going to make Jesus leader. Because if you think about it from the, from the, from the religious leaders at that time, they're looking at it and they're saying, if I get a backache, um, my eye gets poked out, I'll just go to Jesus and he'll just create a new eye. You know, um, I'm backache, no problem. I'll just touch Jesus's hem and, and I'm going to be healed. He's our healthcare, right? He's, he's our healthcare provider. Food, need food, you know, Jesus, just make some more of that fish and, and bread. And then you're, you know, we're under Roman occupancy. You know, well, we don't want that. Jesus will come and overthrow them because he's the king. So they're like, you know, hey, let's anoint this guy king right now. So Jesus, knowing exactly that's what their intentions are, he tells the apostles, let's get out of here. Get in your boats and let's go. Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he prays for them. He sees that there's, you know, a storm and all that. And then ultimately he walks out onto the water and then they go to the other side of the lake, right? So now you have the people that just had that great food the night before for dinner, right? Just got and, and they wake up in the morning and they're like, "Hey, that was great. That was a good start, but now it's breakfast. I'm hungry again. You know, let's go. Let's go get some of that food." So they're looking around for Jesus. Hey, where's that? You know, where, where's it? You know, I don't see his boat here. So they finally catch up with him. They run around the lake. They catch up with him, and they're like, "Hey, how about some breakfast? Uh, you can read it. I mean, it's right there." How about some breakfast? You know, we want some of that great tasting food. And Jesus is, is ultimately, and I'll just, you know, paraphrase it just because of time. Jesus is, is saying, you know, you're, you're paying attention to the miracle. You're not paying attention to the provider of the miracle. Who's providing the food? Who's, you know, think of, think of like when, um, when Lazarus was in the tomb and Jesus called him out when Lazarus was dead. Well, what Jesus did, when you read that story, what he does is um, the, the inclination, if I'm Martha and Mary, right, my, brother and, my brother's in there, and I'm Martha and Mary and maybe some other people, and Jesus is, you know, he's having this conversation, I'm the resurrection, and they're like, yeah, 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 I, I know you are, like, at the end of time, in some abstract, you know, distant time and place, yeah, you, you get power, you know, uh, but right now today, you know, you don't have any power, you know, because, you know, you have to be here and actually touch him to have any power. And you weren't here. They don't understand that, you know, God can do it from across town. He doesn't physically have to be there. So they're, they're kind of like, oh, if only you were here, like, like Jesus is uh, inept if, he, if he's not there. You know, like, if, oh, I have to be in the same room or same area for me to do anything. So Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the resurrection, you know, in the future, and I'm the resurrection today. I, I'm the same power. I'm the same God. So they didn't really understand that. So then Jesus said, I'm going to call your brother Lazarus out. So what does the story say? Well, you know, if I'm Mary and, and Martha, and, and let's say that that's the tomb where he's coming out, what am I looking at? I'm looking at the tomb like, oh my gosh, where's it coming? Well, Jesus says, stop it. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the miracle. You're looking at, at, you're, you're looking at Lazarus coming out. You want to look at me. Pay attention to me. Forget about Lazarus. Lazarus is, you know, he, he, you know insignificant to this. So he, he goes up and so Jesus says a prayer. He goes, Father, I'm just saying this you know, just for, you know, really for their consumption, you know. So he gets their eyes on them and he says, Lazarus, come out. So the point is he was redirecting them, you know. The people were like, oh, that food was so good. And then they're having this debate with, with, uh, with Jesus, um, you know, after the, the, they want the breakfast. They want that, you know, some more of that good fish and some more of that, that good bread. 
And they're like, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, well, that, that was yesterday, but today is today. Even Moses, you know, Moses in the desert, God gave him manna every day for 40 years. We only got one meal, you know, so, you know, let, let's just kind of keep this thing going. You know, so they're kind of, they're just so focused on the, on the food. And Jesus is like, you know, you're just so worried about your stomachs. You know, it's not, forget about the, forget about the miracle. You got to pay attention to the provider of the miracle. So Jesus redirects them. So anyway, you, you can read that on your own. So that would probably be Jesus going back, you know, to the men on the road to Emmaus or up in the upper room when he went back and, and pointed all, all the different things as it pertained to him. You know, maybe that would be the significance of, of the bread that he would point out, saying, I'm the, I'm the supplier of that. I'm, I'm the provider of that. And then we go to um, the last part of this, and then things will kind of pick up a little faster here. But then we go to the word. So why would Jesus refer to himself as the word? Um, so so it, once again, we go back to, well, what happened during the time of Moses? So, um, so let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. I'll just flip over. And why would, why, would, um, why would Jesus equate himself to the word? Well, you go back to Genesis, um, and what does it say? Um, every time he, it says, and God said, right? And God said, let there be light. And God said, um, you know, let there be water. You know, so the point is, you know, God spoke the big bang off of his lips. God said, you know. So how did the people during the time of Moses um, and during the time of Abraham, you know, it's not like they were walking down a field and they're like, oh, hey, there's God. You know, they, they didn't, that's not how they knew God. How did they know God? They knew God by his voice, right? God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. You know, it's not like they saw him. They just heard that. God spoke to a prophet. The prophet went and said, hey, I had this vision. Here's what God said. So everything was based on the voice. It was based on, you know, John the Baptist says, I'm, you know, I'm one calling out in the nature. The only thing that's important to me is, is the voice because I'm proclaiming God. So the important thing about, about God or how people at that time knew God was based on his voice. You know, here's what God said. God said, um, you know, God spoke out of a burning bush and so forth. So that's how people knew, knew God. Well, it wasn't really until Jesus came that now we could say, hey, there's you know, God walking down, down the field. But at that time, that's how people knew, you know, knew God was through the voice. So Jesus is saying, you know, I am the word. You know, when, you're, when you're hearing that word, you know, Jesus is saying, that's me. That word that spoke the world into existence, that voice, that's me. That's the significance of what Jesus is saying there. So John chapter 10, verse 24. So here's what it says. The good shepherd and a sheep. Very truly, I tell you, uh, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who comes to me um, does not enter the sheep by the gate, uh, but climbs in by other means. So he's going through this. Jesus is re referring to himself and in the sheep and, and so forth. And it says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. So, so Jesus is saying, hey, this flock that is out there, you know, they listen to my voice. So if you think about if you have a pet, um, if you, maybe you have a pet dog or something like that, uh, or you did at some point, you know, that pet dog you have knows your voice, right? You know, you can give a command, that pet knows that voice, just like the sheep know, know the, the gatekeeper, you know, know the shepherd's voice. Jesus is that shepherd. But if somebody from the post office or UPS or the mailman or, or um, you know, whoever it is, 
you know, your pet or doesn't know that voice. So they're going to bark. They're going to be aggressive because they don't know that voice. So Jesus is saying, it's the same thing with me. My people, my, you know, the people that know me, that, that trust in me, they know my voice. So here's, here's what he says. The keeper, keep, uh, gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out to a sheep by name and, they, and, uh, and leads them out. When he has bought out all his own, he, does, um, he goes on ahead of them, just like that light going on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Uh, so anyway, it just continues there. So, so that would probably be, you know, a, another connection that, you know, the voice, the voice that spoke the world into existence, the voice that spoke out of the burning bush, the voice, you know, the uh, voice that have the Holy Spirit in me and that we pray to and, and that, uh, you know, that's the voice that would be connected to God. Okay, and then um, now we come to John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is where it kind of comes into a nice... Tight little bundle here for us. Uh, so John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is, um, um, and this is the word became flesh. So here's what we have. Um, so in, so when we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, you know. So when we read that part in, in the beginning of, of John's gospel, when we go to chap or when we go to the fourteenth verse, it gives us this key. And this key, um, this key is what uh, is kind of a fill in the blank. So what it says is the word became flesh. Okay, so so this is basically God the Father looking down on the manger scene, right? So this is God's perspective. This beginning of John is really God's perspective of Jesus being born. And, and, and God is looking down and he says, the word, you know, that, that spoke out of the burning bush and the word became flesh. So God became flesh. So we're, so who, you know, who is that? You know, well, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is the, Jesus is the word that became flesh. Um, so, so with that being said, if that's the key, if, if, if you, if basically it's equal, if Jesus means word, so wherever, wherever you see word here, you can insert Jesus's name there uh, because that's that's the clue to it. So you could read it just the way that it's written on these pages. You could say, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word." You know, you could read it that way. But since we know that the Word means Jesus, you could also read it this way. You could say, "In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made." Um, made without him, without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus is life, and that life was the light of mankind. So, so you could really read it that way, and that gives you really a clear understanding: the fact that you know that it was Jesus that spoke the world into existence. It was Jesus that was there. Jesus is saying, you know, hey, let's look back. You know, I'm not some Johnny come lately. I, you know, this was all, you know, this is all mapped out. Uh, you know, these are things that the prophets spoke about me and so forth. Um, okay, and then we'll we'll just kind of continue into just a couple other little things. So, so and this will be a little bit more rapid fire. So, one of the things, um, if I went to, uh, maybe Jesus would go back to the book of, of Numbers. So, if I went back to the book of Numbers. So, here's the Jewish people. They're in the desert once again. It says, uh, the Jewish people said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Um, there's no bread. There's no water. And uh, we detest this uh, miserable food. So, so the people are really grumbling, right? And then you, can, you read the story a little bit further. And then it says in verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. 
Anyone who is bitten can look on it and live. So Moses made the bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then uh, when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked on the bronze snake, they lived. So you have this little kind of like strange little story in the middle of all this. Like, well, that doesn't seem very fun or nice or whatever. But basically what was happening is you have, you know, 2 million people, 4 million people in the middle of the desert. They're grumbling. God sends in some, some chastening. He, he, you know, this, these snakes come in and they bite the people, right? These are, it has venom in it. It has some poison in it. Maybe their legs are swelling up a little bit. Well, you know, a crowd of 2 million people, you know, that's a pretty large area. If I'm on this side and that bronze snake is on that side, by faith, I have to walk over there to be healed. I may say, oh, that, you know, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to stay here. Well, I'm going to probably die. But for those that have the faith that are willing to look at that snake that is being put up, which is like the cross being put up, um, well, if I look at it, if I cast my eyes on it, I'm going to be, that venom is going to be taken out. That sin is going to be taken out of me. That's, you know, that's what it says. So if I were to ask you, like, just, you know, like if you just grabbed any random person off the street and you just said, Give me a Bible verse, you know, tell me the, you know, tell me a Bible verse or whatever. They would probably, you know, say John 3, 16, you know, like, you know, you so Jesus would probably say, hey, let's not start at 316. Let's go a little bit earlier. Let's go to 314. All right. That's probably what Jesus would say. So, so here we're on, we're on 314. Um, and Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So that would probably be a connection. Maybe you'd say, hey, let's look at numbers in, in that snake. Well, guess what? You know, that was me. Um, it was me then, it was me then. Uh, now, um, so, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe he would go to the book of Exodus and, and just because of time, I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, just kind of lay this out here. So if you go back to the book of Exodus, there's something very interesting. You go to chapter six, verse, uh, verse two. And at this time, um, it, what's interesting is when you read about that, it says God, um, God met with Moses in the tent of meeting, face to face, like a, a man meets with his friend. So, you know, it'd be like if Jesus were right here, he's speaking with us just face to face. God is, right? You know, it doesn't say Jesus, it says God. God spoke to Moses face to face, like any man speaks with his friend. So that, that's the relationship that Moses had with God. He was able to see that. So, so over the course of time, when, when Moses is seeing God face to face, Moses understands, I'm not seeing God in his full glory. And God says, you know, Abraham, you know, I made, I made the covenant with Abraham. You know, as many, you know, grains of sand on the seashore. These will be, you know, the, the people, the nations under you. So, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, with Abraham and then also with Isaac, he says, um, God said, you know, with, with them, I did not show them my full glory. So, so God is saying, you know, hey, I had a great relationship with, with I, you, know, with, with, uh, um, you know, with Abraham. You know, I mean, I made this covenant. I made a promise to him. But even then, I didn't show him my full glory. So Moses is like, I want to see your full glory, right? Because Moses understood. I'm seeing you face to face, but 
you know, I know you're, I know you're holding me back. You know, you're, you're presented in flesh. Um, you know, you're presented in flesh. I want to see your, your full glory. God says, you know, you, you really can't do that. I mean, if, if you looked at me, you would just drop down and die. You can't do that. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you inside of this cave. And I'm going to put you in a very far side of the cave. This is what God says to Moses. I'm going to put you in the very far side of the cave. And I'm going to pass by you. And I'm going to put my hand in front of you so you can't see me. And just when, I, just when I'm ready to pass by, I'm going to remove my hand and I'm going to allow you to see just the tail end of the back of my head. I'm going to let you see that much glory. And, and so that's what you have. So maybe, 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 um, maybe Jesus would have said, you know what? I am God, although I'm, I'm, I'm veiled in flesh. I did go on the Mount of Transfiguration, which, we, which was the church service yesterday, where it talked about how he, he pulled back his skin, in essence, and in the, in the radiance of, of his light. You know, his deity showed through uh, to John and Andrew and, and, uh, and uh, Peter, and it showed through. So for that moment, you know, Jesus did show them. So, so that, you know, so, so you, know, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Jesus would say, yes, I, I you know, I'm, you know, I am veiled in, in flesh. You know, I, I'm, I'm God, but I'm still, you know, I, I have to hide my deity, you know, to that extent because you would just burn up if I, if I were here. So if I put on this, this flesh of Jesus, if I put on this flesh, um, you know, just like I did with Moses, I'm doing that with you, you know. But now when we're in heaven, you know, that will be, you know, com- completely veiled. So maybe, maybe that's something he would point out. Um, maybe Jesus would just point out to similar things like how does God um, describe himself? Well, you go back to Genesis when he created man. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God speaks of himself in the plural. He doesn't say, let me make man in my image, in my likeness. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Uh, when he went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, he said, hey, they, they are um, starting to know, you know, or whatever the, you know, the actual in, in a, uh, uh, specific verbiage was, but it was like Jesus, they were speaking and let us go and, you know, and bring down judgment on them. So God speaks of himself in, in the plural, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think really the purpose of this Bible study is, you know, obviously we just want to expose these things and make it a little clearer and easier to understand, less intimidating, but I think we also want to understand our understanding about God, that it's not really God the Father and then right under him is God the Son, and then right under him is, is God the Holy Spirit. That's not really the proper structure. It's really God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're equal on plane. Um, it's not a pecking order like, well, God the Father is a little bit ahead of, you know, that's not it. You know, if I were to ask John, my brother, um, so you're my brother, right? No, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're my brother, right? Okay, and then uh, you're you're married. Yes. So you're you're a husband. Yes. Okay, and then you're um, you're um, uh, you have children. Yes. Okay, so you're a father. Yes. So which one are you? All of them. Yeah. So that's God the Father. You know, he, he's he's all. He's one, but he's all. You know, he, he's you know he's he's three. You know, he's he's one and one and three. So. You know, so Jesus would probably just go back and point these things out that, you know, it's me. It's always been me. I'm not a Johnny come lately. I'm not a quick change artist. It was me then. It's me now. I was there, you know, in the beginning, you know, so all the things. Um, and then the rest of it, I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that because you, you can read that uh, for yourself. But basically, it just, uh, it just um, you know, brings in the Holy Spirit, you know, that everything is interchangeable. I'll just read through this real quickly. I, I copied this directly out of the Bible. Um, so 1 Corinthians uh, um, 
you know, but there is one God, you know, this is Jesus speaking, or uh, there's one God, that Father, who will all things come and who we live. So, And then you go into Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So, all right, what does God look like? Well, the Son. Um, for in him all things were created, meaning in Jesus all things were created. And then you go down a little further into that uh, first Colossians, and that I underline it says, uh, his, full dwellness, um, uh, his fullness dwelled in him. Uh, I and the Father am one. That's what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Um, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's the same hand, you know, so you can't snatch it out of Jesus' hand, can't snatch it out of the Father's. Why? Because it's one of the same. So finally, Jesus may have concluded with uh, Daniel in chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Um, and this speaks about the prophecy of when Jesus would enter Jerusalem on the donkey, the anointed one, and he would be put to death uh, via the cross. So Daniel, during the time of Daniel, which is about 800 years before Jesus walked on the earth, so in the book of Daniel, they did not speak in the same time language as we do. We, we talk about it was Wednesday or Thursday. They don't. They say it was a day um, or two days before the Passover. Uh, they don't say three years from now, this is what we'll do. They talk about things in a block of times. So they say it was um, one seven, which would be a seven year period of time, or it was seven sevens, which would be 49 years. Or um, in this instance, it was 77, which would be 490 years. So Daniel has a prophecy about the Messiah, about the anointed one, about Jesus, 490 years before, um, before the timing would begin. And, and Daniel is very specific. He says, when the clock starts, here's when the clock will start. When the edict goes out from the king that allows the, the people from Jerusalem to go and rebuild the temple and to rebuild the wall, that is when the, the stopwatch, that is when the clock starts. So there's a total of 490 years. And then Daniel writes that out of that 490 years, it's going to take 49 years. It's going to take seven sevens. It's going to take 49 years to actually rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls um, around Jerusalem. That leaves 334 years, Daniel says, and it, which is 62 sevens. So it takes 434 years that remain. And then from that point, when that time ends on that day, that is when the anointed one, when Jesus will enter Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, Hosanna in the highest, all of those events, and that he will be put to death. So that ultimately leaves seven years left. That seven years, uh, uh, it's one seven, a seven-year period of time. Daniel says that uh, that seven is split in two, that there's a, 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 a tribulation and then a great tribulation. And in the middle of that, the three-and-a-half-year period of time, there's the abomination of desolation. So that, those are the things during the, uh, the times of Revelation, and you can listen to the, the um, podcast on Revelation for those details. So maybe Jesus would point out um, you know, that this prophecy points to him, uh, points to his, um, um, to his death, um, really down to the day. So these are a couple things maybe on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus uh, perhaps the, uh, um, the people in the upper room when Jesus said, the scriptures, the prophets, they speak of me. So maybe these are a couple examples of things that, that Jesus would have pointed out. 
And then uh, quite frankly, on your own reading, um, maybe you'll discover um, some, some additional. I just pointed out a couple just to uh, put together for a Bible study, but these are certainly not an exhaustive list. So, um, you know, dig into your own and, uh, and add to what we've learned today.